This is Alive and Engaged with David C. Jones, the podcast about speaking out and looking in. I married ayahuasca. (laughs) My heart made some kind of pact and I loved it so much. The love that I'd felt for everybody at the retreat, the love that I'd felt for that small injured version of myself inside, I suddenly also felt for the people driving by. Think there's a little bit of misconception from people that if I take some ayahuasca, it'll fix everything. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking with two men who wrote theatrical shows about their profound experiences with ayahuasca, as well as with Taina Owen, who performs sacred ceremonies with the hallucinogenic plant tea, and that's what makes her feel alive. And, as always, we'll start with engaged. One of the sure signs of engagement is laughter. For the most part, it is a joyous sound that is provoked by something that we said or did. We form vivid memories when it's connected to an emotion. So for trying to make an impact in a presentation or a social setting, using a positive emotion is our best bet. So when you're trying to engage, the C is for comedy. We'll hear about all of that right after this short break. Okay, so you want to engage people. If you want to do it properly, you want to do it effectively, then remember the C is for comedy. If you want to connect with people, whether you're on stage doing a presentation or emceeing something, or if you're just in a social situation, you want to provoke an emotional response so that you can become memorable. And one of the best ways to do that is to make them laugh. Actors say, dying is easy, but comedy is hard. And it is hard. And there are certainly good and bad ways to provoke laughter. Okay, but why do we need an emotional connection with our stories and our listener? Well, it's because in our head, the amygdala is the part of the brain that helps us process strong emotion. And that's right next to the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that retains memories. So you can tell a story that terrifies people or infuriates them, and they'll remember But if you want to have a more positive impact with your messaging, then you might want to make them laugh. Laughter has other benefits as well. It has been documented and talked about how laughter boosts the immune system. It relaxes muscles because it decreases tension. It can enhance teamwork and camaraderie. Conversations with laughter last longer. And it can shift perspectives and make people see things in a different light. One of my absolute favorite phenomenons of having worked uh, as an improviser and as a comedian is when you see people laughing, they will often turn to the person they're sitting beside. I I do that. If I'm watching something really funny and and I guffaw, I suddenly will look to the person who I'm with, or I might even look at a stranger. So I like to think that comedy really fosters connection. Now, one of the theories as to why people laugh Uh, Why do we as human beings laugh, right? Uh, And we're not the only animal that does laugh. Is It was because it came out of trying to signal all clear or that we're all good, right? Like cavemen were going, oh, oh, that wasn't a giant dinosaur that was trying to eat us. (laughs) So that's one of the theories as to how laughter came about. It was uh, about connection and letting everyone know everything is okay. Uh, Now, the other interesting thing about uh, comedy, of course, is jokes. Uh, And jokes with punchlines actually will stimulate brain activity. When you tell a joke, 
The frontal lobe sends out electrical waves through the cerebral cortex, trying to figure out the punchline before you get there. And when you delight or surprise the listener, they'll respond with everything from a giggle to a guffaw. The other kind of thing that's really interesting is if you belly laugh or you get someone to belly laugh, you get that <sighs> sound. They're scooping out their, their lungs, they're scooping out their swamp, uh, figuratively scooping it out and releasing it into the wild. Like when we get scared or when we get um, uh, shocked or nervous, we go <gasps> and we breathe in. And we store all that negativity inside, my voice teacher used to tell me. And when we go <gasps> and laugh, we're scooping it all out and releasing it out into the wild. It's really important, however, if you're going to be using humor and jokes that you're trying to uplift people and not beat them down. We all know that <laughs> from The Simpsons, right? There's a saying that, hey, that joke killed. But some jokes can really kill, if you know what I mean. If you're telling a joke to make other people laugh, that's one thing. But if you're telling a joke to make yourself laugh, it's probably at somebody else's expense. Important not to punch down. Don't make jokes about marginalized people or people in a lower station in life than you. When I was a kid, we used to make dumb blonde jokes and noofy jokes. But you don't hear those so much anymore for a good reason. And tastes are always changing and evolving. And, and people complain about... Oh, we're too sensitive, too sensitive. I don't think it's that we're too sensitive. I think we're just more aware of what is cruel, right? That's why also some TV shows and movies from the past are now challenging to watch now. Don't punch down. It's not there. <laughs> However, punching up it can be kind of fun. Making fun of the elite or the one percenters can be quite cathartic. It might even provoke change. So a good rule of thumb to follow is the glad rule. Great laughs avoid demeaning and there are lots of other great ways to make people laugh that don't require hurting or making fun of other people although pain can be funny as we've seen on shows like uh, america's funniest home videos i don't even know if that show's still on one of the main secrets of comedy is surprise there's setup and then there's a twist like i asked my mother if i would ever find someone who would love me and she smiled warmly and said of course you will who knows you might be somebody's fetish. I was in grade three. There's also the rule of three. The first and the second one set up a pattern and the third one has a change. I try to take care of myself. I exercise, I eat right, and I carry a big stick. Or you can make people laugh with exaggerated reactions or do act outs with your voice. I had a great teacher who passed away recently named Gina Bastoni. And she said, don't say funny things, say things funny. So there's lots of ways to make people laugh. If you want to make an impact, be playful and fun and leave people energized. Complaining or just being negative makes you a very tiresome person to be around. It drains people. If you are provoking laughter, you'll be missed when you're gone. So if you want to engage, remember, the C is for comedy. Now, after this short break, we'll be back with Taina Iwan, and we'll also hear from TJ Dahl and Damon Schritter and their experiences with ayahuasca, plant medicine.
and we're back. And I want to point out that I did three interviews with three different people, my first time talking with three different people, and the audio recordings are very different. One was conducted over Zoom, and one was conducted in a park, and I am now sitting in a room with Hannah. Hi. Hi. Hi, David. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> so you, you are uh, now. We said you're not a shaman. No. But you have you have been trained to uh, uh, conduct ceremonies down in Mexico. In where were you? Brazil. Brazil. Um, yes. Mexico and um, throughout the United States as well in cool. different places. So first off, if, if you're explaining, like I, uh, in the podcast, ayahuasca has come up before. One of my first guests talked about their experiences mm -hmm. in it. And uh, I mentioned I had also done an ayahuasca ceremony uh, yes. as a participant. Yes. Uh, and I thought, well, you know what, we should just do an episode that is just about that rather than just, <laughs> rather than just skating across it. Yep. So can you, can you explain what ayahuasca is first? Sure. Um, so ayahuasca is a brew that is comprised of two different plants that come from the Amazon, um, the chacruna and the jagubi. So one is a leaf and one is a vine. Uh, the stories that the indigenous people tell is that they learned about this because, of course, there are millions, literally millions of plants in the Amazon. Right. So how they come from completely different uh, trees. How did they put them together? They say that they watch the jaguars eat them. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that, um, and then in other stories I've heard that, that in the dream, the white boa came and told them where to go. Right. Put but these two put these two plants together yes. and it will change your life. Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, in, in a more scientific way, I suppose, if we want to talk about it that way, um, it is a, it, it, the active ingredient is the dimethyltryptyline molecule. Oh, that's what I was going to guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously. Um, and, uh, and, and DMT is what that stands for. So people may have heard of, probably heard of DMT. Um, however, people can synthesize DMT and you can just have that, but ayahuasca is completely different because DMT appears in sort of smaller amounts and then the whole organic nature of what it's doing is something different. Okay. Um, so it's a tea and it is used in sacred and ritualistic ceremony right. for many different tribes right. in different ways. And, and in different ways and we'll get into that a little yeah. bit because you do it different from the experience that I have. Exactly. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. I uh, just want to jump back to DMT because I have not heard of DMT. Oh, okay. uh, now there is a hallucinogenic quality to ayahuasca which I, when I describe it, I go, I think it's like acid. I've never done acid, so I go, I think it's like acid. It, <laughs> it's, something like, it's something like DMT, or I guess mushrooms. Is DMT an ingredient that, I've heard of THC, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, DMT uh, is an ingredient that, DMT is a naturally occurring molecule that um, is released by our uh, brains at the time of birth and at the time of death. Mm. And um, wow. so it occurs, yeah, and they call it the God molecule. And it, it occurs in ayahuasca. It also occurs in other things, the in acacia, the acacia tree. They say oh, okay. ancient Egyptians would have um, uh, imbibed acacia. It's the acacia is the tree of life um, in ancient um, many ancient religions and the, the Kabbalah tree of life is based on the acacia tree 
And d- DMT occurs in that tree as well. So DMT occurs naturally. Right. Um, but you can synthesize it. Um, <clears throat> it has been synthesized. And, and people like to like to smoke it in these synthesized ways, and I do not recommend that. <laughs> it's, okay. like it's nothing like, uh, nothing, nothing at all like the um, experience that you have uh, drinking the tea in a ceremony. Uh, Brewing it and getting the, the, it out that way. And the ceremony, the community, the people, the everything that you, the, 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 the eight hours that you do the ceremony in, Right. And what you are asked to do, I think, um, I think it was Ter- Terence McKenna would say that it's not about the substance that you are um, intaking. That's part of it, but it's the substance plus the environment. Right. And that means everything. Well, and that's the thing too. The the, the situation that I experienced, uh, uh, that I was called to, and I mean, I was called because of uh, uh, seeing uh, TJ's show. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking with him in a moment. We'll hear it from. Uh, but I also I had a lot of pain in my life and a lot of things that are confusing uh, me and I was battling with my own issues of addiction issues and stuff like that. And when I talked with the, the gentleman that was I was led to, uh, he said, well, this will likely help you. And one of the things that I loved about his experience, I think it was Amazonian, his experience, I don't know what the different types are, maybe I'll ask you, yeah. was there was so much singing and and uh, and and lights and we were in this giant yurt type mm, thing the mm-hmm. men on one side the women on the other <coughs> side except for a married couple they were side by side um and and there was chanting and people getting up and moving and and uh, uh i remember going i guess in and out of consciousness or, or yeah. in and out of yeah, and so every time i opened my eyes i was seeing another thing it was like what the hell's happening <laughs> right yeah um, can you describe first off, I guess, the different types of ceremonies that happen? Sure. Right? Yeah. Though, from what I know, I, I'm sure I don't know about all of them because there's so many different tribes. And when people brew ayahuasca, they can also put different tribes might put other things also in there. Right. Um, Peppermint. Uh, but yeah. You know, <laughs> some eucalyptus. We have a little chia seed in there. I don't know. No, but there's many different uh, medicines. Um, many different medicines. So um, the way that I uh, and the only way that I have ever experienced um, ayahuasca is through a, an organization called the Santo Daime. Santo Daime means holy, give me. Daime means give me. And it's Amazonian. I think it's all Amazonian because mm-hmm. it grows in the Amazon. Um, but they're just the Peruvian Amazon and the Brazilian Amazon. And okay. So Santo Daime is Brazilian Amazon. Uh, usually what people hear about in the most popular kind of stories is the Shipibo, which is a Peruvian way of doing it, Shipibo style, the Shipibo tribe. You know? <laughs> you're, just making, you're just making up words now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Baby. I'm so <laughs> um, the Shipibo tribe, they are beautiful. They, so they, do, they drink their ayahuasca overnight. So okay. you would go into a room and it would be pitch black, it would be very dark, you're in a circle, and you would have a big dose of ayahuasca, and there would be a shaman probably called the maestro, or the, if it was a woman, the maestra, um, and they would sing um, the ikaros, and ikaros are the songs of the plants. Okay. Um, 
So the way that I, that's not, I've never experienced it that way. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that sounds a little bit like the one that I did. Okay, in the dark? Okay. Yeah, we were, it was pretty dark. There was a little bit of light, but it was mostly dark. There was a little bit of light around okay. where the, where like the shaman or the maestro okay, gotcha. was, uh, I guess, so that we could find them in the dark. Yes. Right? <laughs> I'm over here. So tell me about your ceremony. Like, uh. Because you experienced it, and then you said, "I want to learn how to do this." Yes, the first time I drank it with the the Centro Damier was that was that experience was unlike anything else I've ever experienced, and in that moment, I felt like I married ayahuasca. Kind <laughs> 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 of, my heart made some kind of pact, and I loved it so much. Um, and uh, and and interestingly, that those two days of drinking ayahuasca almost ten years ago, I and I've had about three hundred ceremonies since, and I've never again experienced what I experienced that first day. Oh wow! Never now, again. Do you mean that you? You've had 300 experiences yes, with the ayahuasca. Absolutely. Now that strikes me as an awful lot. It, like that. It, it, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, like uh, one of my. <laughs> well, well, I want. Well, I want to know because uh, one of my concerns uh, is uh, with any kind of uh, drug, or in this case, medicine, is it uh, being having an addictive quality, right? So yeah. Can so, you have too much? Yeah. Can you have too much? Yeah. You, um, I think, I think it's kind of like anything else, uh, in a way. I mean, it is a very powerful, powerful experience. So um, it's not something that you just kind of um, keep doing a lot. Like it's not, it's not easy to do it. So what is a lot? Five hundred? Well, I know. Well, I mean, no, I did it a lot. But I, but I, when I started drinking it, my path through it was really um, an interesting one because I kind of fell in love with the music. And so whereas a lot of people would say that their path, maybe they went and they experienced this big healing journey around something, mine wasn't like that. I didn't, I didn't experience like a bringing back of sort of like trauma or anything. I actually just experienced such an infusion of joy. Mm. Um, and, and the ayahuasca actually started just to feel like vitamins actually and the first time was extremely powerful and then and then sometimes i just had less and i was more interested in holding space for other people so i started um and it was because the music got in me you know the yeah. music got in me and it was uh, like my heart literally did make a pact. It was like I couldn't stop singing the songs. I wanted to hear them all the time. I started learning the guitar. I started learning how to sing. I, and, and it wasn't like a decision that I consciously made. It just, I just, you I just, just loved it there. so much. That's where I found myself. And I kept singing the songs. And then I started. Um, uh, yeah, somehow, you know, people would come to ceremonies and be like on the floor and all that would really happen to me was that I was just so excited to be um, singing and I found that I could sing in Portuguese from the very beginning. Wow. Wow. So I had a really different experience and I kind of, and I sort of became close with the family that came to lead our ceremonies and so, and and uh, all the teachings through the Centro Dime are done through song. So I, mine was a very... Um, many years of learning. I learned hundreds and hundreds of songs. Some are thousands and thousands of years old through the tribes, and it's been a beautiful, beautiful experience I've gotten to meet. So mine wasn't so much like just solve my trauma. It was. It was actually. A, I, I loved. I loved the music. I loved learning the different cultures. I loved the different perspectives of. 
Yeah, it, like it, it enveloped you. It yeah, enveloped it really you did. And, and pulled you in. It sounds like so. <laughs> so you got you got called to perform the ceremonies. Mm, but I did want to actually get back to your actual oh, okay. question: was how can you have too much? Oh yes, yeah, um, and I do. So you can't overdose on it, right? Like marijuana, you can't overdose on it right. there's a designation for things like that there's a word for it because your body with ayahuasca you will just vomit out it will self-regulate right you're not ever going to overdose on it i gotcha you're, yeah but uh, i do think that there can definitely be what people call spiritual bypassing where i think that it can be so wonderful to go um, you do realize a lot of ayahuasca kind of opens up your conscience a little mm -hmm. bit and I'm sure you know and so you sort of the things that you aren't telling yourself you will tell yourself <laughs> um, but I think that it can also be so and the ceremonies the way that I've seen them can be so um, joy inducing and so high spirited that I think that people can sometimes ignore their problems Right, they're, they're getting so into the, the, the beat that they're not listening to the lyrics. That's right, <laughs> pretty much, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Just continuing our music analogy. And I mean, I think that can happen anywhere. I think in, in you can, um, unless you're like really kind of doing some work, or the, the medicine isn't going to change you. Right. I think you can, you could drink it the rest of your life in it. But it, but, well, but it also can have a profound effect and change you. But I think it can, you got to be careful. I think it can also amplify things that were already there that uh, might not be always the healthiest things right the path and the path that I went on was so there's different ways because the one that I go to is a church mm -hmm. so it's got that all extra other component it's got a church component uh, <laughs> it's got now, a community uh, based, of people based in what religion uh, the Santo Daime the oh, Santo okay. Daime is a church okay it's an official church in Brazil oh okay yeah there are three religions in Brazil that partake of ayahuasca there's the uh, Uniao de Vegetal it's called the Union of Vegetation the Plant Union okay. um, Barquinha which means the boat they're okay. on the boat nice it's a metaphor for life the ocean and Barquinha is the other one and the Santo Daime which means holy give me that you're asking God to give you're asking the spirit to give you what you need you're praying Okay. So you're not just there, the, 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 you're there and the, if you are following the practice, it's not required, of course, anyone can come, but if you decide that you want to practice, much like a Buddhist, if you decide, yes, I want to try this practice, there's a practice to it. Um, and uh, so you pray, and you mm. pray, you don't lie down. Okay. You sit, and sometimes you stand for eight hours. Wow. Yeah, and you, you, you dance uh, in a formation, particular formation. Uh, men always stay together, women stay together, they separate the sexes. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a discipline to the ceremony the way there would be discipline if you went to Vipassana. You stay in your seat, you mm -hmm. don't move, and for long periods of time you don't talk, and the medicine is really strong and you might want to scream, but you don't talk, you right. don't make sounds. But and then there's a period of time where you sing and you move, and, people can't, and then there's a period of time where you can do whatever you need to do, right. but it's teaching you, training you to uh, be able to control your abandonment. Nice. Control your abandonment, that's yeah. neat. Uh, so that's teaching like a discipline then? A discipline of how to open and how to release so it doesn't just come, open. and when to open and release so it doesn't just come upon you. 
right. and you're overwhelmed. It, and so you shut it down or you explode. <laughs> is, this ac- is this accurate to say? It's about, it's about connecting to your impulses, but also knowing how to control your impulses. Yeah, I mean, the ayahuasca is going to open you up to a lot of... It's going to yeah. cause a lot of stuff to move. Yeah. Um, but the discipline of the sen- of the Santo Daime, the way that I learned it, is that when everyone is equal, so there's no shaman that's going to come around and heal you, right. the discipline is in the structure of the ceremony. You begin, you sit, you have your spot, and in the, the metaphor of the structure, the structure is a metaphor, um, you s- remain in your place. It's part of the structure of the ceremony, it's also part of a metaphor for your life. You remain grounded, you stay in your place. Wow. Um, no, yeah. It's so profound. Like uh, you must have had, uh, even when you're, when you're sort of leading the ceremony, you must have some very profound feelings when you leave after you see like it was 20 people 40 people i don't i would never say i lead ever 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 but i definitely serve you're just the greater i I know i'm (laughs) serving along with a a, not just me but a bunch of other people we're gonna serve um it's like being in a band. So it wouldn't right. just be me. It w- I couldn't even do it You're by myself. You're not the lead singer. No. Well, there is no lead singer. It's That's like right. an ensemble band. Right. So it's okay. like a quartet. Okay. So there's no lead, right? Okay. So it's but, but the quartet is bigger than four. Um, but there's a bunch of us, and we're committed to um, facilitating those ceremonies in the world. But there's already a way of doing it. So we don't make it up. Right. But we, we get to learn it, and we just keep it going together. I remember, I remember in the ceremony that I participated in, uh, uh, so it was, uh, you know, I don't think they, the, the maestro was doing anything other than serving the tea. He, was, he, wasn't, right. he wasn't telling us what we needed or what we Great. didn't yeah, need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember there was also two people who were not partaking in the ceremony. Uh. Because they were there to keep watch over everyone. Sure. To make sure that they weren't going to a dark place or if they For were sure. going to a dark place they could help them. Yeah. Um, and, or if they needed... Yeah. to purge. Absolutely. Purging is a huge part of ayahuasca. Yeah. We haven't even talked yeah. about that part yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, they, they were there to... to, to Hold the space. Caretake. Yeah, know, the caretakers, bit. for sure. We yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but um, we drink. If you're still caretaking, you still drink the medicine. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, you just might drink a little bit less. Right. When it's your turn to caretake. We have a rotating... We right. set it up beforehand, so there would be like 10 of us who are helping... The ceremony happen, right. um, and then we would make a, you know, a schedule. Of course, when you're once you're once you drink the medicine and then you're in it, it's sort of another realm, and you're in a place where it just unfolds as it's going to unfold. Your nervous system can really unwind, right? Deeply, deeply unwind the nervous system. As I mentioned at the beginning, I talked to two other people, so I'm going to interrupt Tina right now so that we can hear from TJ Daw and Damon Schritter, and they can talk about their experiences and why they both created shows about ayahuasca, and then we'll return back to Taina after. So first up, this is TJ. Okay, my experience with ayahuasca involved a retreat that was facilitated by Dr. Gabor Mate, who's a Vancouver-based doctor and activist who, his specialty, he calls it compassionate curiosity or a compassionate inquiry where he asks people questions that they're always compassionate and searching and the function is to disrupt somebody's story. My story is that I don't belong. 
that I'm not wanted, that I've never been wanted. That I grew up in a family where I was not seen, where I was not loved, where there was no joy, where there was no affection and no holding. And that that has carried into my adult life. So I dreamed of being an actor. I went to theater school. I didn't fit in didn't get cast. I then went into the professional world of theater. I didn't even try to audition because I couldn't imagine anybody wanting me. I created my own work. I toured theater festivals. Even with my success in theater festivals, I didn't belong. I didn't go to the bar where everybody hung out. I didn't have close friends. There was this camaraderie available to everybody else that wasn't available to me. Through Gabor's processing with me and then through the experiences on the ayahuasca itself, that story cracked wide open. And I came to understand that that's a story that I've been telling myself and actively trying to per perpetuate, which doesn't actually gel with reality. There are many, many, many times when I have been loved, where I have belonged, where I have been seen and where I have seen others, where I have relaxed in full, enjoyable camaraderie with others and it refreshes me. And then I always bury that. So I understood that and I embraced that. Now, the second of the two ceremonies that we did as part of this retreat i had a vision of my childhood and all of the joy and love that i'd buried came back to me and i came to understand that the misery and the sadness of my childhood is true as well it's not like that didn't happen it's not like that's not a part of me but so were all of these times when i was embraced where i was loved where i was seen where i was cared for where there was affection where there was laughter there was joy and that's all real too and i came to see the part of myself the frightened child within me that needed to believe and has sought to protect that story and i thanked him and i embraced him and i gave him the holding that he didn't think was available to him and i just melted with love and i was able to share that with the group and i was able to connect with the other members of the group heartfully and lovingly and the next day in the morning i had a little bit of a headache and i asked one of the shamans and she said you know you can take some ibuprofen it's fine that's not contraindicated with the ayahuasca and i didn't have any but i knew where there was a general store and it was maybe a kilometer walk away from the retreat center so i started walking there and cars were driving by me it was a semi-busy road and there were houses and I, I couldn't see anybody in the houses and I, you know, just cars driving by. I had no idea who these people were. And I remember just thinking, none of these people know who I am. And if they see me at all, their thought is probably there's some guy on the road. There's no way they could know what I've been through. And yet, the love that I'd felt for everybody at the retreat, the love that I'd felt for that small injured version of myself inside, I suddenly also felt for the people driving by. I felt a connection to these people that I'd never met and would probably never meet. And I felt a connection to the people in the houses I couldn't see. And this sense of alienation just atomized by this sense of connection I had to everyone on earth. And that's when it hit me. This will be my next show. I must share this with the world and I must do something to cement this in myself. This is a moment I never want to forget. And this is Damon Tritter. My experience with ayahuasca that made me want to write a show about it um, was kind of strange. Uh, I was told to write a show about it while I was doing the ayahuasca. So that was one of the things that it asked me to do. For those who have done it, you'll understand. For those who haven't, you might not, but you get these sort of visions or you hear things. And it, it told me to deliver a number of messages to people five of them, which I went and delivered. And the last one was to do the show to sort of tell everyone because I had the ability to do it, which, and I did not want to do it. I spent two years trying not to do this show as hard as I could because I really didn't want to go 
put myself out there and talk about something like this in front of everyone. I thought, am I crazy? And then it, oh, it was getting till I, if I didn't do it, my life was going downhill. It, it puts you in a spot where either you do it until you do it. It's not going to let you free because that's the next thing you're supposed to do with your life. So that's why I did a show about ayahuasca. How many times have I done ayahuasca? I have now done it uh, two, two different sessions. So I went to do it the first time. That was three times over five nights. You did it every other day. And that's the one I wrote my show about. And then I saw a friend who had gone back and I knew someone who wanted to go again. And I decided maybe I could go for a top up, like go back. I didn't think I'd ever go back. I thought it was one and done for most people. You get your sort of your answers and it's not something you need to go do in the woods. It's not a drug with your friends and that sort of thing. But, um, I did go back and it was a completely different experience than my first one. They were, they were, they were two different types. This one was more of a healing circle, the shaman chanted. So you were working on things you didn't know. The other one I went in and set like intentions, like this is what I want to have happen. But they were all sort of intentions of how to carry on in the world. When I got back this one, I just went in and then I found out, Oh, I didn't know I had a problem with, uh, uh, vulnerability and then you <laughs> get rid of your problem so <laughs> the second one was a lot more clear and internal stuff that i didn't know i was dealing with i have done ayahuasca one time other than that first retreat and that was in the winter of 2017 so i can't 100 percent explain what it was other than it was just it felt like the right time to do it again something inside me said it's time so I went back and I did another retreat. Gabor did not lead it, but the same shamans that he works with were leading it. There was some group processing, but not to the extent that it happened in the first retreat. And there were two ceremonies. There were four ceremonies overall. I was only there for the first two. And the experience paralleled the first retreat in many ways with a fundamental difference. In that in both retreats, my first experience involved a lot of nausea and a lot of purging. And the second experience involved a vision of benevolent otherworldly beings and I was filled with love and wonder and compassion and connection. The difference between the second retreat and the first retreat was everything that had happened in between the two. So what had happened in between the two was that that sense of alienation that I had carried around and projected my entire life just wasn't there. And I went into the second retreat already connected with people because I carpooled there with five other people one of whom I kind of knew, but I got to know the others and was immediately sharing with them. So I walked into this with friends and then immediately meeting everybody else. And when I had my first ceremony in which there was profound nausea, that's putting it mildly. I was the celebrity of that particular ceremony in terms of everybody. I think it was about 40 of us in the room. Everybody kind of being like, oh boy, that guy's having quite the night. It was horrific, quite honestly. It was loud. It was, uh, I was making practically demonic yells at some point as what was coming out of me. But unlike the first ceremony, first retreat, I didn't take it personally. I didn't interpret this as any kind of judgment from the spirit of the plant that I was despicable, that I was unworthy, that I was broken. All of these things that I've believed about myself my entire life, I took it as simply something that's happening, of something that needs to come out. It's not enjoyable for it to come out. It's very difficult to come out, but it's not bad. It's necessary and it's helpful and it's cleansing to do it. And I only got a few hours sleep after that. This lasted all night. My, my experience went far beyond when the ceremony was officially declared done. 
But when it was finished, I did feel cleansed and purified. And I only got a couple hours sleep and I woke up in time to have breakfast and I walked into the room where everybody was having breakfast and everybody suddenly reacted. He's here, he's alive. And I looked at everybody and I said, good morning. And I meant it. And I sat down with people and shared food and shared conversation and shared experience. And it could not have been more different from the first retreat. It was truly wonderful. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Do I have concerns about ayahuasca? A little. I don't have concerns of like you getting OD'd or anything, right? Like people, you can only take as much medicine as you'll throw it up there. So that people don't OD. But I think there's a little bit of misconception from people that if I take some ayahuasca, it'll fix everything. And I think that's a little bit of a fallacy that's out there. Like it, it shows you what you need to do. You have to continue to do the work afterwards. Mm. And I don't think it's anything that you should um, push people to do and be like, you have to go and do this. It'll change your life because it's, it's very intense. And the dark side of it and the things you see are not everyone's going to be able to handle that. And I think they have to make that choice themselves. So I think it's about you telling people what your experience was. And then if they decide they want to go, they can go. But I don't think you should drag someone to be like, this is what you need because it, it, it's, it's the most intense thing you're ever going to go through. So I don't think you should be forcing a person to do that. I think that's a bit of a, a danger out there for regular people. The concerns that I might have about ayahuasca fall into two camps. One, I ended up doing this solo show about my experience on the retreat and when I did it in Vancouver, Gabor Mate joined me and we had Q&As after many performances. And a question that came up every single time is, is there anyone that you think should not do it? And the answer consistently was, if anybody's had manic episodes in their life, ayahuasca can trigger that. Also, if there's certain substances that are contraindicated, including SSRIs. So if somebody can't, like, and, and I mean... Like if it would be highly not recommended that they take a break from their regimen of SSRIs for the period before and after a ceremony, uh, then it's probably not for them either. So that's one concern. If there's, if there's a, you know, a medical reason for it. The other concern would be if somebody gets to the point where they become quote unquote addicted to ceremonies. Now, this isn't specific to ayahuasca ceremonies. This can happen with ceremonies where somebody's ingesting a different substance, where somebody's doing a vipassana meditation, uh, or any or conscious eating, any kind of thing. But there can be a mentality that develops that real life happens at the retreat, and that the rest is just the matrix and it doesn't count. So then I will gear my entire life towards building up the money, the resources, and the time so I can go back to as many of these as I can. And in the meantime, I'm not integrating what I'm, what I'm learning from these ceremonies into my regular life. I created this one-person show about my ayahuasca experience, and I performed that more than 100 times over the course of two or three years. And the experience that I described, that sense of love and belonging and connection, was cemented because I experienced it again and again by doing this one-person show. That was, that was an integration practice, even though I, again, that was following a prompt from my higher self. That wasn't something that was recommended to me or given to me. I didn't even really understand that integration was an important part of doing ayahuasca. But there's what you experience, and then there's how you bring it into your life. That's going to be different for each person. I do one-person shows anyway. I have a following. I have the ability to... To, to turn my life into stories that make sense to do on stage. So that was really helpful. Not everybody has that. 
But I think it behooves anybody who does it to figure out some kind of a practice, whether it's big, whether it's small, whether it's something you do once a day, whether it's something you do once a month, whether it's something you do alone or with others who understand, but some way to bring these gifts from the beyond into your regular life. And if you're not doing that, you're wasting them, in my opinion. I'm a completely different person. Uh, now I'm like before, now I'm the guy I like, I wake up, I meditate for like half an hour. I do yoga. That was the start. I was like, I'm that guy. I didn't ever want to be this guy. Like I'm the guy now who does yoga, meditates. I'm all centered. Um, I never thought I'd be that guy. I didn't want to be the guy doing the show about it and telling me like, Hey, this is the way to like, I didn't think I'd ever be that guy. And, um, I, you know what? I haven't, uh, I haven't drank really in three years. Like it just, it sort of removed some things like that. Like you, like I do, I no longer had a desire to drink. I ate differently for a long time. Like all of a sudden I didn't want to eat red meat and stuff. And I'm not a vegan or anything. I love steak. And uh, I just, it just changed. There's a few core things as you go along that, that change. So it's, I'm a, I'm a very different person from the time, from the time I took it. It wasn't day one when I got back, I was completely different, but it's been five years. And if you keep doing the work, uh, you wouldn't, I'm a, a very different person than I was five years ago when I did it. Uh, have you ever had anyone who just went, okay, this is not for me yep. or I got to get Abs out of here. Absolutely. Yeah. You're absolutely. A, you're not, crazy people. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I have. Yeah. And my, and, the, and I remember the very first day I drank ayahuasca, my, um, my, the leader of that ceremony. And he was in the Santo Daime. They don't have leaders. They call them padrinos. They're godfathers. They sort of care for their, they have a, there would be the, They'd call, they call them protectors of the church. Okay. So there's, and so they would do the leading prayers, but they're not, but they're the same as everybody else. So we don't really talk about it in terms of a leader. They don't get to wear a hat or something. Nah. <laughs> we, all, we all, in fact, we all wear the same outfit, which is kind uh, of funny. Uh, um, like a little bow tie and a shirt and a skirt, and it's really kind of hilarious um, <laughs> and adorable. But, um, but that's because the Santo Daime was a, a confluence of several different things that happened in the Amazon at the time in the 1920s. There was indigenous uh, Amazonians, there were Af indigenous Africans, and then there was the Catholics that came in, and then there was, so then they were trying, so they, they kind of look like a school uniform. Our uniforms are oh, pretty wow. funny and cute looking. Uh, but that's because it was a subversive thing because they, they were doing the, these ceremonies in the woods, the rubber tappers. Okay. and the indigenous people and then they had to and then they like incorporated uh african rituals and indigenous rituals and folk catholic rituals and it kind of all turned into the Santo daime so that's did, what i learned did they did they wear these like bow ties and stuff so they could, we're just going off to pray well you know it kind of looks like that sometimes <laughs> we're just gonna do some praying i mean over i've here. done that because it's it, it's it's legal in oregon and i got i've traveled down and i've even thought like wow what do i say at the border because it's not i mean i could say exactly what I'm doing because it's legal however it can sound so weird so it's kind of why open that can of worms if you right. don't have to because it's um, not it's not legal in Canada right it's it, legal Canada, in Montreal and it's, it's oh legal and it's legal in Winnipeg it's legal in places but it's not legal in that's right yeah it sort of depends on um, if a church decides to petition the provincial government to make it legal in that province. Okay, and my understanding though, there's nobody actually been arrested. It's like it's a law in the oh, books. No, 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 no. It's a law in the books that people go, well, no one actually follows this. Nobody, law. yeah, and it's, and the thing about ayahuasca is there's no, uh, there's, it's not a street drug. 
Right, right. There's right. no, there's nobody is going to go buy this off the street. Like nobody is going to sign up to shit their pants and throw up <laughs> and, and feel really horrible about every uh, evil thing they've ever done. Like yeah. no one's signing up for that. Right. Like it's not cocaine. It's not MDMA. It's yeah. like nobody is not a street drug and it never has been a street drug and it never will be a street drug. And the government yeah. doesn't. It's a different story. It's not a narcotic on the street. Right. It'll never go there. Right. So, yeah, and we should point out that you're not necessarily going to <laughs> shit your pants at the I'm going to point you're out you're not necessarily going to shit your pants, yeah. but you might. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> if and you have a strong, when you're throwing up, if, and if, I've done it. If you if you haven't, if you, and also, like, uh, we, we were told, eat these things for one month beforehand. Don't eat these things for one month beforehand. If you have, like, a pretty full stomach, I'm yeah. going to say some something might come out of you, and it either comes out one, you know, way, or one way or the other. And <laughs> I personally... Um, you know, <laughs> not exactly selling it now. Yeah, exactly. We're not really, but but but, uh, but we're trying to. But that stuff. Um, we're exploring the physiological thing that happens. You do it. It reflects the psychological. So you get cleared out, right? Which is why they say fast beforehand. Yeah. 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 You um, get cleared out. The uh, and, and, and the cobwebs. Good. I've heard it described as getting rid of the cobwebs in your brain. You've got these things that are blocking pathways, and yeah, uh, helps. Those I really feel so that, that could, yeah. So that you go, oh, I can yeah. see a little bit more clearly now. There's no age thing. It's very gentle. I've seen children drink it. I've seen old people drink it. Wow. Yeah, I've seen it given to baby. But kids seem the same. I'm right. just going to say that. Right. I've seen a lot of children drink ayahuasca in Brazil, in the Brazil, Amazon. Yeah. In the Amazon in Brazil. And uh, nothing happens they're, 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 they're the same I, as they were before I, I was gonna say yeah because if it's about it's they're about the same as they were before. your eyes and clearing they're, out they would be like there's there's nothing literally to clear they're here. exactly the same as they were yeah. before I'm, I'm a blank kids slave. are yeah. totally fine nothing now, happens to them yeah it's really beautiful can you can you like uh teach us uh, uh maybe just a short bit of a a, a meditative a song or chant or something that 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 because uh, uh, you you talked about how the music spoke to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have time to learn a whole thing, and especially singing in 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 a uh, international language might be challenging. But is there something that maybe you go to when you're in a time of stress that you go, or maybe not think that's too sacred to you because you might go, I don't want to share this. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean um, the. It's interesting because I... I thought that was the beginning of a song. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I have a song in my mind, actually. And it's a song, and, I, and I can, I'm going to sing it because it's an old song. And it's like, uh, I think it's a few thousand years old. Uh, and it's something I learned through the tribe. The tribe is the Yawanawa tribe. Yawanawa tribe. And they um, are really connected with the the church that I drink with. Baite, 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 mia no etavara, hoi, 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 hondena. Baite, 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 Mia no itawara, hoi, 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 hoi,
अंबारेजा हुनु इन्नी हुनु आना बाईते बाईते हा बाईते हाय 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 Beautiful. And that's probably just a portion of the song. Yeah, it's just wow. a portion of the song. That yeah. was... Uh, I don't know how it sounds to you people, but for me, being in the room, uh, watching her sing that was just like it was. It went through me. Um, uh, that's Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, Thanks for listening. So if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, I want to explore this more. I want, mm-hmm. I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, it's not something you type into Google. Where, where mm-hmm. do I find my ayahuasca yeah. locally? Uh, and there's probably nowhere local. It, would, it might lead you to a mm-hmm. ceremony somewhere where you have to get on a plane or, or yeah. in a car. What, what what cautions would you say? Like, again, it's not a street drug. So it's, you know, it's, it's no not on a, a corner drug. going, he wants yeah, ayahuasca. No. But what cautions would you... Well, there's a lot of ayahuasca, what they call ayahuasca tourism happening, where um, people will fly to South America, and it's really expensive, and they go on this retreat thing, and, and you're not... Um, and then people will even... It will, in South America, will kind of sell in the street, and you don't really know what's in it. I would say if you are curious about it, um, that your safety is the f- foremost thing to be thinking about and that you will feel, uh, to use your intuition, uh-huh. where you feel like people care about you and you're safe. Right. You're really feeling that they care about you and you're safe. And usually th- it shouldn't be too expensive. Right. You know, we don't, um, and the Centro Daime is a church, so they are actually a really wonderful way, I believe, and it is legal in Oregon and in Washington State. Right. Um, and uh, you know, if people can't pay, they can't pay. That we do this as charity. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah, we'll actually pay so that you can come. It's a cha- work of charity. Okay. I've gone around and done works of charity like this. So it's so it's so be careful if people are needing to profit. I would just say that. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, just be aware. That's that's a that's a good point. Do your. Um, uh, yeah. Due diligence. Do your due diligence. And, and, um, and I think it should be come from someone. Like if you hear, like I mean, like you hear from someone, oh, go talk with this it, person. Absolutely. Right? Like as as yeah. someone you trust and they lead you to someone. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, certainly that's friends what I did with friends. TJ. Yeah. I said, TJ, who should I talk yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. And he said, talk to this guy. And so. That's the best and, way to do it. Yeah. It's not really something that's advertised, nor should it be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, seek and you shall find, I think. I think it happens like that for sure. Nice. Well, uh, Tan is one of the funniest, funnest people that I know. And since today was C's for <laughs> coming, and she's a clown sometimes too. And she's That's not true. just being a bubbly, her bubbly self uh, uh, around people. Um, so today C was for comedy, uh, about how to make yourself a more engaging presence. Uh, like always with our uh, podcast, uh, if you enjoy it, please share it with someone. If you have any suggestions or ideas, let me know. And uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Tana, I would like to give you the final word. What's the last word that you want to say about this experience to the people? Um, 
stay connected, stay connected within and without yourself, I think, inside and outside. And maybe find ways to become more connected. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, David. Uh, Such a fun time talking with you. (laughs) (laughs) This is Alive and Engaged with David C. Jones. Be good to yourself.